first, I, I want to give an apology. If you've gotten used to taking notes on the Genesis Church app, um, we had trouble uploading those notes for some reason. You're going to have to use the old school method. If you can't remember how uh, to use a pen, ask somebody next to you. But uh, apologize for that. We'll try and get it worked out for next weekend. As Jose mentioned last weekend, we started this new series called The Son of Man, and uh, that's a name that Jesus frequently used for himself. We find it 81 times in the New Testament that he uh, is called the Son of Man. And if you weren't with us last weekend, I highly, highly recommend that you go back and listen to that podcast uh, on our website or in iTunes, because what we talked about last weekend lays the groundwork for the next seven weeks. It's uh, pretty important stuff. What we studied last week was the full humanity of Jesus. And while we uh, looked at the fact that Jesus is fully God, that scripture clearly presents that Jesus was fully God, it also presents that he was fully man. And people have been wrestling with this idea for over 2,000 years. How can he be 100% God and 100% man? How does that work? Well, Paul mentioned last week that in 451 AD, uh, there was a, a council called the Council of Chalcedon. And the Council of Chalcedon came up with a statement about Jesus' full divinity and full humanity. They landed on this, that in eternity past, the pre-incarnate Christ decided that he would take on flesh and he would veil his deity so that his humanity could be fully expressed. So what, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, while he was fully God, never dipped into his deity to live out his humanity. He never played the God card. And I know that's a tough one for some to, fall, to, to swallow. Believe me, I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing fully God and fully man. But the reality is somehow what I ended up with was a theology that said a little bit more God than man. And that's not what scripture teaches. Maybe some of you find yourselves thinking, you know, some of these same things. He must have relied on that God card to live this perfect and sinless life. But Hebrews tells us that he was made like us in every way yet without sin. He was tempted in every way, but he never sinned. And if he wasn't relying on his deity, if he never played the God card to live that perfect, sinless life, then how did he do it? How did he do it? What were the resources that Jesus used and what were his priorities? Well, that's exactly what we're gonna look at for the next six weeks. And I wanna give you a sneak peek at those resources and what those priorities were. The first is the Holy Spirit. We're going to see Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit and the role that the Spirit played in Jesus' life. The second is prayer. And more than 40 times, Scripture shows Jesus getting away to pray. Sometimes he prayed all night long. The third is obedience. Jesus made, uh, made it his priority to always walk in obedience to the Father. He always said yes to the Father. Fourth is the word. Jesus had access to the written word of God. He studied it, he memorized it, and he let it lead his life. Fifth, exalting the Father. In every situation, Jesus was always pointing people to his Father, and we're gonna look at that in a few weeks. And sixth, relationships. We're gonna see that Jesus entered into a, a few very intentional relationships during his time here on earth. And to make it even easier to remember these priorities, there's an acronym that we can use. It's Holy Spirit Power, HS Power. So you'll hear us refer to that throughout the rest of this, this series. But here's the cool thing. And I bet some of you are already putting this together who were uh, here with us last weekend. All of these resources that were available to Jesus, 
they're still available to us today. All of the, the priorities of Jesus, the resources that allowed him to live a life that was pleasing to the Father, they're still available to us today. That's why John can say in 1 John 2, 6, anyone who claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. Jesus has become our model for life and ministry by focusing on those six priorities. And so the challenge for you and for me is now to align our priorities with the priorities of Christ. And so we want to start looking at those priorities this morning, and we're going to start by talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I've already mentioned that I grew up going to church. Church culture uh, is very normal to me. Uh, it makes sense. But one thing that hasn't always made sense is the, the person of the Holy Spirit. I grew up hearing a lot about God the Father, and that relationship made sense to me. I heard about God the Son, Jesus, and that always made sense to me. But when, when we, would, we would talk about God the Spirit, man, that was a little bit of a, a challenge for me to grasp. Honestly, when I heard about churches that were Spirit-filled, I thought about those churches that you see on 2020 or Dateline, uh, where they're handling snakes and dancing and falling on the ground and saying words that nobody understands. And so because of that, I just kind of shied away from the topic of the Holy Spirit altogether. And there seems to be a huge pendulum swing in Christianity where either we just don't understand the Spirit, and so we swing all the way over here and we just don't talk about Him. Or there's a, a swing that comes all the way over here where, where there are things that are emphasized about the Holy Spirit that Scripture never makes a priority. And really, I think both extremes are missing it. What I'd like to do this morning is to show you from the life of Jesus who the Holy Spirit is, and what role he should play in our lives. And let me just say right now, there's no way that I can fully cover everything that Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit in 20 minutes. So because our time is short, we're going to start in the New Testament. But I want to make it really clear, this isn't the first time that the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture. In fact, the first place we find the Spirit is in Genesis 1. He's active throughout all of Scripture. But again, just because of time this morning and because we're focusing on the spiritual in Jesus' life, that's why we're starting in the New Testament, okay? So in Luke chapter 1, uh, we read that an angel appeared to Mary. And here's what he said to her. He said, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we see a, a glimpse of what's about to happen, that Jesus is going to be born in a supernatural way. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was the only person since Adam to not have an earthly biological father. Think about that for a minute. This is so important because it points to Jesus' sinless nature. You and I, we were born with a sin nature. We inherited it from our sinful earthly fathers. And you may, may be thinking, you know, wait a minute, I, I got a pretty good dad. Well, I got a pretty good dad too, but he was a sinner, you know? And I, I like to think I'm a pretty good dad, but I'm a sinner. And so I have passed this sin nature onto my children. But Jesus, Jesus had a perfect heavenly father. He was sinless the same heavenly father that Adam had. But Jesus was more like Adam before he sinned than he is like us in our sin. Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the second Adam or the second man. He's the restart, if you will. Adam was born into a sinless world and he failed at keeping it that way. 
Jesus was born into a sin-soaked world, and he walked a life of obedience all the way to the cross. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now fast forward 30 years, and we find that Jesus is now an adult, and he shows up at the Jordan River, and he's coming to be baptized by his cousin John, John the Baptist. And here's what happens in Luke chapter 3. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And just imagine this scene in your mind for a minute. Jesus has spent his childhood, his adolescence, and his young adult life studying the scriptures, living in obedience, and putting the pieces together of who he is. That, that he was God's son, that he was the Messiah. We don't know when it all made sense to him. We don't know when all the pieces came together and that he realized he was the one, but I bet this experience had something to do with it. Confirmation from the Father with these words of affirmation and the gift of his spirit. Jesus was conceived by the spirit and now he is filled with the spirit. Look what happens next in Luke 4. Right after his baptism, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led Led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So not only was Jesus conceived by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit, but now we see that he is led by the Spirit. Immediately after his baptism, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And this time that Jesus spent in the wilderness, it was foundational for what would happen in the next three years of his life. This was the time when his faith was solidified. He was tempted by Satan, but he was victorious and obedient. And he spent precious time with his father during this time, isolated in the wilderness. And it all happened because he followed the Spirit's lead into the desert. We're going to talk more about what it means for us to follow the Spirit in our own deserts in just a few minutes. But I want you to keep this in mind because this is where it becomes real for us. I want you to pay close attention to this because in John chapter 14, we're going to fast forward again. Jesus, who is conceived by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and led by the Spirit, now promises to give his followers the very same Holy Spirit that was in him. Jesus is close to the end of his life here, and he says this to his disciples in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, this had to be a confusing moment for the disciples, They'd spent all this time with Jesus and they had put all their hope and all their trust in him as the Messiah. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus came to die, that he had to go to the cross and he had to surrender his life. And now Jesus is telling them, I've got to go. I'm not going to be with you anymore, but someone else is coming. And he says, you know him because he is with you, but soon he will be in you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And just a couple of chapters over in John 16, Jesus says, it's actually for your benefit. It's actually better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. It's better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you than for you to have me with you. Now, why would he say that? 
Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is who is leading Jesus. And now Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's been with you. I'm the one who has been leading you. But it's the Holy Spirit who has been in me, leading me, so that I could lead you. But now he's going to be in you. See, Jesus in his humanity, he was with his disciples a lot. You know, he, he taught them, he, they, they traveled together, but he wasn't with them 24-7. We find pockets of time where Jesus is away from the disciples. But the Spirit, the Spirit is in us always. He's in us 24-7. He's never apart from us. Do you see what an advantage that is for the Spirit to be in us and not just with us? But it's only to our advantage if we learn to rely on him in the same way that Jesus relied on him. So let's look at what scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit inside of you, and here's what he wants to do in you. First, the Holy Spirit gives us guidance. And here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, I want you to make another blank, and I want you to write, and wisdom. Okay, we've got a deadline for graphics here, and sometimes the Spirit moves after the deadline, okay? But I want to talk about guidance and wisdom, okay? And I think that's important. I think you'll see why. As Jesus is laying out to his disciples that he's leaving and the Spirit is coming, look at what he tells them in John 14. He says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to teach, and the Holy Spirit is going to be reminded of what has been taught. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. Have you ever considered that? Luke tells us that Jesus, uh, when he was a little boy, we find him in the temple at 12 years of age. At the end of that passage, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And I believe that was the work of the Spirit in his life. Not because he was deity, but because in his humanity, he was submitted to the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the work that the Spirit wants to do in us as well, that he wants to grow us in wisdom. In fact, we're instructed to ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So let me ask you, where do you need wisdom right now? Right now in your life, what are you up against? What kind of decisions are you having to make? Where, where do you need wisdom in your life right now? And what have you been doing? Where have you been going for that wisdom? Are you just leaning on your own understanding? Stop doing that. If you're a child of God, he's given you his spirit who wants to give you wisdom. Just ask him for it. Do you need wisdom in your job situation right now? Ask God for it. Do you need wisdom in your marriage? Ask God for it. Maybe you need wisdom in parenting or relationships or life direction. Ask God for it. He generously gave you his spirit who wants to generously give you wisdom. Ask God for it. Isaiah 30, 21 tells us that whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit did for Jesus during his days on earth, and it's a picture of what he wants to do for us. Because he's with us, he lives inside of us, he is guiding us, and he is giving us wisdom. But the Holy Spirit is more than just guidance and wisdom. We also see that the Spirit gives us comfort. 
He gives us comfort. When Jesus says that the Spirit is coming in John, uh, the NIV translation says he will send an advocate. We read that a minute ago. And the Greek word that's translated as advocate in the NIV, it's the word paraclete. It looks like this in, in English. The word literally means one who comes alongside. And some translations use that word advocate, but others use the word comforter. He will give you a comforter, one who comes alongside to comfort. And I think this was huge for the disciples as they heard that word and they understood its meaning because Jesus had really become their comfort. He had been the one that they had turned their eyes to when they didn't know what to do. They came to Jesus. When the storm flared up and they thought they were going to die, they woke up Jesus. He always knew what to do. He always knew what to say. And they found comfort in him. So when Jesus tells them that he's going away, And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, another advocate. They understood what that meant. Jump down to verse 18. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So let me just tell you this. You can have assurance today that if you are in Christ, his spirit is in you. He promises not to leave you or forsake you. And I know for a fact that some of you here this morning are in a desert. You find yourself this morning going through a desert experience. We talked a few minutes ago about the fact that Jesus had a season like that in his own life. One of the reasons we tend to want to rush out of the desert is that we don't see or trust that God is with us. We trust our surroundings. We trust what we can see, what we feel. We trust what we can can touch, but we often don't trust the Holy Spirit, the comforter. But listen to what Francis Chan says about this. He says, why would we need the great comforter if we're already comfortable? Why do we need the great comforter if we're already comfortable? I don't want to minimize whatever you may be going through this morning. I don't want to minimize whatever may be ahead for you. But I do want to ask, in the midst of that desert, where are you turning for comfort? We have to acknowledge that as we follow the Spirit to guide us, there's going to be seasons of discomfort. There's going to be seasons of struggle. There's going to be seasons of pain. But the good news is that our God is a God who never leaves or forsakes his children. And his spirit is a spirit of comfort. So whatever desert you're in right now, I want to encourage you to turn toward God and to pursue the comfort that his spirit can bring in your life. The spirit gives us guidance and wisdom. The spirit gives us comfort. And finally, the spirit gives us power. He gives us power. Probably the best place where we can look to see this is in the book of Acts. Jesus uh, has been crucified, he has risen from the dead, and he's preparing his disciples for the final departure. And he tells them to wait. He says, the Holy Spirit that I told you about, he's coming. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until he comes. And then he says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power And I was trying to think of a way to to illustrate power to you. What is power? Well, many of you know that I enjoy fishing. 
And I have a small John boat uh, that I fish out of. I have a, a picture here, and this actually, um, this isn't me or my boat or my dog, but uh, that's kind of what my boat looks like, okay? That's exactly what my boat looks like, actually. And hanging off the back of my boat is a four-horsepower Johnson outboard motor, so it's actually a little smaller than that motor right there. You could probably outswim my boat going full speed, okay? But it's enough for me. It gets me where I'm going, and I'm secure with my master. Masculinity, so uh, it's all good. But my friend Jeff, my friend Jeff has a slightly nicer boat. Jeff's boat is called the Bullet. It's called the Bullet, and ha- hanging off of the back of the Bullet is a 250 horsepower Mercury outboard. Now, when I'm at the boat ramp launching my boat, people just look irritated and impatient. They want me to get out of the way. But when Jeff is launching his boat, people put down their rods and reels, they take their hats off, put them over their heart, and they show some respect, okay? So the first time Jeff invited me on his boat, I was so excited. I couldn't wait to get on Jeff's boat. And I wanted to see what it could do. I wanted to go full throttle. And we were going out to go fishing. And, uh, you know, Jeff, I was waiting for him to just push that throttle down, and, and he just took it nice and easy over to where we were going to fish, shut the motor off, and, uh, and there we sat. And we just sat and fished. And, and it got dark, and there was only a couple of other boats on the lake, a couple of boats full of high school boys and their girlfriends, I'm sure. And, and they were racing, and they were zipping around the lake, and it was getting dark, wrapping up, when one of these boys pulled up next to us in his boat and threw his hands up like this, like, what do you got? You know, let's race. And uh, now you have to understand, Jeff was in his 50s and had nothing to prove. I was in my 20s and still had a lot to prove, okay? And so I wanted to, I wanted to take on the challenge. And, uh, and so I'll never forget Jeff, Jeff's response to those boys. He looked at me and he said these two beautiful words, hold on. And uh, the next thing I remember is feeling like the skin on my face was literally going to peel off as we went skipping across the water at breakneck speeds. I thought I was going to die. And those high school boys were a mile back in our wake. And there was some kind of deep sense of satisfaction that we had just schooled these, uh, these young boys in front of their girlfriends. Here's the point, though. When I got out of my little boat, my little four-horsepower Johnson boat, and I I got into Jeff's boat, I understood what power really was. And there are a lot of Christians today, some here in this room this morning, who are going through life, putting around in their little John boats with their four horsepower motor hanging off the back, and in their own strength, they're struggling along and they don't get very far, and they're not doing anything significant for the kingdom of God. While all the while there's a power that is so much greater that has been offered to us. Jesus says you'll receive power to do what? To be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And what we find is that's exactly what happens. Those first disciples, just a handful of ordinary guys, they would go from being disobedient and faithless and scared to being the catalyst for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go throughout the entire world. That's the power that the Spirit of God wants to give to you and to me as well. And you may be looking at your own life and thinking, disobedient, faithless, scared, that sounds about right. But listen, God has so much more for you. He has so much more for you. He wants you to allow his spirit to give you guidance and wisdom, to give you comfort in the midst of the desert, and to give you power to boldly proclaim his name and to make disciples. But here's the thing. 
The amount of spiritual power that you and I experience in our lives has everything to do with how surrendered we are to the Spirit of God. You can't buy this power with money, though some have tried. You can't earn this power by showing up for church every Sunday. It's simply a matter of how surrendered you are to the Spirit's voice in your life. And we have a choice to make. We can either hinder the Holy Spirit or we can submit to the Holy Spirit. Those are the two options. When you hear that voice saying, this is the way, this is the way, you have a choice to make. You can either obey it and walk in it, or you can choose to go a different way. And in those moments, when we obey the Spirit's voice, it continues to get louder and clearer. Some of you have experienced that in your own life. But if we ignore it, it seems to get quieter and more distant until we're not even listening at all and we don't even hear it anymore. And Ephesians 4.30 makes it really clear that when we resist the Spirit, that we actually grieve Him. Did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? That our actions or our lack of obedience can actually bring Him grief. In fact, much of that fourth chapter of Ephesians, I'd encourage you to read it later. It talks about the things that are against the Spirit and the things that bring Him grief. The Holy Spirit has so much power, but here's the thing. He, he, he won't force His way on you. I heard someone say one time that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He, he extends the invite, but he's not going to force you to do anything. You have to choose to submit to him. Jesus' walk with the Holy Spirit was marked by his willingness to submit to that voice in his life that said, this is the way, walk in it. And if we're willing to do that too, the Spirit wants to give us guidance and comfort and power, all the things we need to truly walk as Jesus walked. So how are you doing with this? I want to invite you uh, to close your eyes this morning, and we're going to spend some time in prayer to the Father. But I want you to consider, where, where are you with it this morning? Maybe for you, you're up against a tough situation or a tough decision, and you just don't have peace over it, and you're trying to figure it out on your own. And I think it's time to stop leaning on your own understanding and to ask God for the wisdom that he's already said he'll give to you. Ask him to teach you by his spirit and trust him to guide you. Maybe you're coming this morning in the midst of a desert and the pain and the suffering is just overwhelming for you. There's no rest, there's no comfort that you found. I want to remind you this morning that you are not alone. God does not leave or forsake his children. And he has sent his spirit to come alongside of you and to comfort you. And maybe it's time to stop seeking comfort from temporary things and to ask God for the comfort of his spirit. Maybe for you, uh, you're a Christian. You've made that decision to make Christ the Lord of your life. You've been given the gift of his spirit, but your life doesn't really look any different than before, and you're still operating out of your own power. Listen, God has given you a mission. He's called you to make disciples, and he's given you the same powerful spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to accomplish that mission. Maybe it's time to take your eyes off of temporary things and to fix them on what is eternal, to partner with God in his mission and to do it by the power of his spirit. Father God, as we uh, come before you this morning, 
and we've looked at your scripture and we look at the ways that you led Jesus in his life on earth by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we recognize that it's the same powerful spirit that you have given to each and every one of your children. And Father, I'm afraid that many of us have neglected that power. Many of us have neglected that relationship. And Father, we repent of that this morning. And we ask for you to help us, Father in pursuing your spirit, in listening to that voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Father, find us obedient to this. We wanna walk as Jesus walked and he walked in obedience to your spirit. Father, if there are those here this morning who are in need of that guidance and that wisdom, Father, I pray that they'd be crying out to you right now and that you would show yourself faithful in giving that wisdom. For my brothers and sisters, the Lord, who are in a desert this morning and just under the weight of suffering and pain, Father, that they would cry out to you and find your Holy Spirit, the great comforter. Father, for for those this morning who are living their lives powerless, all the while having this power inside of them, Father, I pray they would open their eyes to spiritual things, that they would pursue you, that they would pursue eternal things, Father, that they would fix their eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen, not on what's temporary, but what's eternal. And Father, that they would find a power that is beyond this world in your powerful Holy Spirit, Lord. He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Father, he is the one living inside of us. And Father, we pray that that you would help us to learn to hear his voice and you'd find us obedient to walking with him from this day forward. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.